violent crime is surging in Louisiana. Woke leaders blame the police. I blame the criminals. A mom should not have to look over her shoulder when she's pumping gas. I voted against the early release of violent criminals, and I opposed defunding the police. Look, if you hate cops just because they're cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. I'm John Kennedy, and I approve this message. So do I. Cycles will lose part of the system for a while. You know, it's a finite amount of memory. You can't use it for everything. We're going to compile for half an hour. Go ahead. All of you. I'm approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock. It was a long time ago in a sales conference. I'd say about maybe a thousand people, maybe more. I have no idea. The owner of the company. I had paid for us all to go there, the sales team, and this guy gets up there, and we were sitting in the front, right on the front row of this whole symposium. And the guy gets up there and he says, stand up if you're a leader. And I'm telling you, I'd say probably 90-something percent of the people stood up. Everybody around me did, but I didn't. For some reason, even at a young age, I kind of knew something about leadership, and I knew there was a certain quality one must have and I knew I didn't have it. Because I was in the front and the owner knew this speaker that was up there, he was going to pick on one of us anyway. So he pointed me out and he said, you, right there, you in the red shirt. I had a red shirt on. <laughs> he said, why aren't you a leader? And I told him why. And he grinned from ear to ear and had something to tell a lot of people that were standing up. And for one of the first times in my life, I think I was actually right about something. Anyway, let's get it going. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 120. I'm your host, Danny Belts. What do leaders really need to lead? Oh, here we go. Yes, we know some life lesson here. Maybe, I don't know. Sing it, Kenny. Kenny Loggins, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, does he sound good as he ever has right now? Just listen to this man. He has a little more pitch in his voice, obviously, because he took Denny Belts' plays last week. Six and two, we'll go over the plays that were, the plays that are to come. Tommy Bench will come on the show here at the end, batting cleanup, talk about Putin, uh, what's going on over there in the Ukraine. You see we got Biden, we got DeSantis, a hurricane. I think it's a three-way battle royale. He'll kind of navigate us through that one. Bro Exotic has just won another pick. East Carolina just destroying South Florida. An easy win. And his woke equation seems to be starting to add up all of a sudden in the realm of sports betting. Wow, that's, that's dangerous. The drunk neighbor does come back on this show to talk about the Auburn-LSU matchup that was and the huge game in Death Valley this week. Coming up versus the Tennessee Volunteers. I'll be talking about that one myself. Just can't help it. Oh, Belts, you're homing again. Oh, no, no. You know. You know when it comes to the record and my money, I will bet against my daughter's t-ball team if I think there is an angle so I wouldn't pollute the waters of this show uh, with that homing stuff. I put, I've bet against the Saints several times on here. I think I'm like 5-1. and one. I should probably do that more often, especially after last week. What a disaster that was. We'll be talking about that, too. So anyway, pretty straightforward episode here. I'm in a hotel someplace in Mississippi, and I feel horrible. 
So the good news is I won't be going that long, but the bad news is it probably won't be nearly as funny, or maybe, maybe it's the perfect combination of both. I don't know, but we're going to find out the hard way. Let's get into the picks last week that were, I don't want to get into the wins too much, there were quite a few. Uh, as you know, six of the eight won puts us up to 15, 13, and one, but as I'm doing this right now, Southern Methodist and I had them, and I did not mind if this game was on a Wednesday. I would have taken it on a Saturday. Central Florida is trash. Uh, Southern Miss, or excuse me, Southern Methodist going into halftime up 13-10, probably could have been up 21-10, really, is getting absolutely shellacked in the second half. So that is going to be an L. I'll go ahead and call that one right now a big L as they just scored 31 straight points in the second half. Did Central Florida, which I find so hard to believe, but I got to give it to Gus Malzahn here. Looks like some serious second-half adjustments, so that's going to be an L. Anyway, the Bengals last week, easy win. Tulane, here's an example of how we use the Instagram page. Once it goes on the podcast as an official play, it's in, regardless of what happens. And then once it goes on the Instagram play or the Instagram page, even if it wasn't on the show, that is going to be an official play. We'll always timestamp that. We're never going to just throw stuff on there to try to beef up the record, as a lot of these touts do, and it's just pathetic. No, we don't do that. Uh, we definitely keep the sanctity of the record at the utmost high uh, height that we can, uh, for a lot of reasons, that's one way to instantly lose credibility, and it's amazing how often we'll see that. Uh, the two-lane game was was crazy. Oh, my God. So they announced that Pratt's not going to be a quarterback. Uh, that was horrible. Uh, didn't like that bet. Swings all the way up to Houston, uh, laying four and a half now at home. And Tulane has to go to their third-string quarterback, a redshirt freshman from Texas who really st stepped in and swung about as well as you're going to do. Tulane ties the game on the last possession. Willie Fritz decides to kick the extra point, which I could not believe there was ever a situation in which you'd go for two. It's this one. You have a redshirt quarterback out here burning that red shirt right now. And, I mean, really, with the injuries and the way your defense have been playing really well, Tulane's defense is pretty damn good. A couple guys in the secondary are going to play on Sunday there. But he goes to kick the extra point when I get that kicker off the field, bro. But instead, they decided to kick the extra point. I got a bunch of texts from people saying, get the kicker off the field. That was really cool. And Dana Holgerson just, it just continues to unravel. I mean, while that game's going into regulation, they had a delay of game out of a timeout, which is like the holy of holies cannot happen, especially when you're at home. So they couldn't really try to score before the game ended. The UH fans are booing. Dana, he's cursing at them. It was a it was a mess. He bashes his headset, and then he must have hit his head while doing that because they win the coin toss, and for the first time ever, uh, a team decided to go first on offense, which you are at a huge disadvantage. He put his team at a disadvantage, really almost wanting to lose the game. Much like in poker, you want to be last to act. Well, just like in overtime, you want to go last. You want to have the ball last, not first. Houston kicks a field goal. And Tulane scores a touchdown, and they were able to win that. Washington-UCLA went over easily. Illinois, the theme of the week, getting seven and a half, just absolutely annihilated Wisconsin. Wow, I did not see that coming. I didn't think it would be that bad. And Chris gets fired afterwards. Uh, that was a lock. And then, of course, Navy getting 14 and a half. They almost won. Never trailed by more than I think the most was 10. It basically was a game the entire way. And then uh, North Texas, the, the gift that keeps giving. I mean, these guys can't help but put every game over. It's absurd. That game went over in the third quarter. 
really high-scoring game there. And then we lost Florida State. Wake over, which was not on the show, but was on the podcast page. So, again, it's official. It was an L, and LSU um, did not cover, won the game. Uh, but you still had a chance to cover down 17 points. At that point, you're wondering if they can even win. And they would score 21 unanswered and then had an interception late. And it looked like he was going to the house. <laughs> but Auburn's quarterback made a pretty unbelievable open field tackle and uh, really blew that play up. He crushed him. That would have been just unbelievable to cover that. But uh, you can't go down 17 on the road laying anything over like four and a half and expect to actually cover but a good win for LSU nonetheless and the drunk neighbor will be will be getting into that this week's picks are going to be really weird there are so many things happening right now that I cannot explain there are line movements going crazy in the South Carolina Kentucky game trying to find out what the hell's going on so this is going to be one where a few will be on the record and many are going to be like we're going to have to see so those will go up uh, prior to all the slate that will happen on Saturday. We may have a Friday game there. I'm not sure, but either way, uh, we'll figure that out and make sure that it is done honestly. That's the one thing we're going to try to do, at least I will do, when it comes to the record, is make sure we're not monkeying around with that. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram, at the Sports Antidote. Reach out, touch a brother. Maybe you're at the airport bar. Maybe you're at a Chili's, the new golf course. Maybe you're at a Chili's in the airport bar. It's like triple inception, Maybe reach out, touch your brother, and tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today. <laughs> Great show coming. So, leadership, right? You know, I think there's probably so many uh, ways this term is described. So many, uh, I guess, leaders in position in which, they, I guess, you think they have to be a leader because they're your leader. And although you might have a C for captain or a C for coach or an L for loser, I mean leader, that doesn't mean that you are. If you're a coach, that you're definitely the coach, right? If you're a teacher, you're definitely a teacher. That doesn't mean you're a leader at all. If you hold political office because you're elected and you're an elected leader, yes, you are a leader on your business card, I guess. That doesn't mean you're an actual leader. And like most teachers are bad. I know I keep saying that. I haven't said it in a while. How many teachers do you actually remember that made an impact in your life? I have four. That's K through college. Uh, Not many. And most coaches really aren't good as well. And when you're a coach, you still need to be a teacher. And if you're a good teacher, then you would also be a good coach. There are different parameters. And when they cross over, uh, they do make a very good teacher or coach. But again, does not mean that you are a leader. I'll get to that sales conference that I led off with there just to kind of let you know where we're going. I'll tell you how that ended. And that will also begin my logic on why you cannot be a leader if you do not possess a certain trait, period. I don't care if you think you are. If you don't have this, let me help you out. You aren't. I'm glad I was able to get that out of the way. I do not think it is as simple as if you are not a leader, then you're a follower. And then if you're not a you know follower, then you, I guess you're a leader. No, I think there's a lot of different um, sub-bullet points that could go to a lot of different classifications of where this might actually end up. We don't have time for that. And that would be really boring anyway. So we'll just keep it really vanilla. Uh, and no, if you're, if you're a leader, it doesn't mean you actually are. And if you're like a follower, you're not just put there because you're not a leader. If you remember the movie uh, American Sniper or the Sniper movie, it's American Sniper, right? Yeah, or whatever. Chris Kyle, you remember in the beginning of that movie, 
a great movie by Clint Eastwood there. I saw that with Tommy Bench, uh, a lot of other military people in there. Man, there was a lot of tears at the end of that movie from the uh, people that was watching it. But not, not Tommy Bench, but you could, whew, the way that movie ended, man, pretty powerful. But uh, I remember in the beginning of that movie, his dad was telling him and his brother, you know, there's three types of people out there. You have sheep, you have wolves, and then you have sheepdogs. Now, I like that. I like to think that, you know, most guys would think, well, I'm a sheepdog. And you, you, you might be. Uh, but if you're not a sheepdog, I, again, in the same regard, I don't think that you're a sheep, right? You can't just classify it to three things. Uh, but, you know, it's a good overview because I think that is, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. My point is when it comes to leadership, um, you could be a leader of a sales team. And you are the leader of these people. But yet, again doesn't make you a leader in my definition, and it's very simple, which we'll get to shortly. You could be a political leader, elected to office, as I said, and, and you, could be, you, know, you could be in charge of anything, an athletic director. You're the lead. You're at the top of the entire program, but you're going to have to have a very important characteristic to be tied to that in order for me to consider you to be a leader. And I knew this at a very young age, um, as stupid as I was and as stupid as I am. It's pretty impressive how ridiculous I can still be. Uh, I knew this a long time ago that I really wasn't uh, a leader, even though most would classify me as that, I guess, because I'm loud or have a self-aggrandizing podcast. There's many reasons why, but it's very simple. It is a, it's almost so simple, you're probably not going to agree. And that's the purpose of this for the most part. Yes, you shouldn't always agree with me. And yes, troll me on, on uh, Instagram. I don't care. Text me. Do whatever. Smoke signal. I'll get back to you when I can. But... There's just a lot of this going on right now in our political world, and our sports world, and I think we need to take it back to the basics. We need to get back to really what makes a good leader and, and what this characteristic, why it is so pivotal from a foundational aspect of what a leader would be. This is, as uh, you hear a lot, we try not to do the Latin on here a lot because it makes me sound stupid, but yeah, the sine qua non, without which not, if you don't have this, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It is just that simple. I'll scan back. You know, sometimes I'll think about people that were influential in my life, and, and I would consider them leaders, and, and they are. And they were. They still are now. And if they're not here anymore, then they died a leader. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't need to be this big rah-rah type of thing. Uh, you should always lead by example. I, I believe that, and most would agree. Uh, but even then, there's there's guys in the leadership role that fail, but they don't even know that they're failing. Well, one, no one's told them, and they just think they are. And on the other end, a lot of it's with just sheer ignorance, and no one even really knows that they're not a leader. It's not like they're not telling them, they just don't know. Let's use Donald Trump as an example. Uh, Donald Trump is a leader. I think he was a good president. Let's look at the big three, right? You know, the economy, uh, unemployment, and foreign affairs. Uh, you know, that, that the involvement there, I think uh, all three would check off as pretty well, uh, especially, you know, foreign policy. I said foreign affairs, same thing, pretty solid. The economy, solid. Unemployment, pretty solid, right? Uh, good president, uh, not that good of a leader. Yeah, I'll be the first to say that. I don't think many presidents really are, in my lifetime at least. I don't think Bill Clinton would be classified as one. I was too young to remember, uh, you know, the original, the original dubs, right? I don't. I, mean, I barely remember George Bush being president. I remember some of the Desert Storm stuff, and I was really too young to remember anything that Reagan 
uh, had, but he did have one major characteristic that many have told me that we'll get to in one second that he did have, probably made him a good leader. I don't think Donald Trump was. Clearly, I don't think Barack Obama was, and I certainly don't think uh, that Joe Biden is as well. So to be fair, really none of them are, especially Trump for when it comes to what I'm going to tell you if you haven't figured it out already. At that sales conference that I alluded to in the beginning, uh, this was young in my sales career and we had went to like a symposium. It was a like a weekend event and the owner paid for us to go, the entire sales team, and he could not make it. Uh, but our director of sales was there, good guy, pretty good leader, but mm, could use a little work there on, in this department. <laughs> and like I said, the guy gets up there. He's a speaker. We're speaking in the very front. I forgot his name. He was a, a very good speaker. Uh, he was excellent. And usually I don't respond well to these motivational types. I think it's a bunch of baloney. You know, most of us would probably feel the same way, right? But in this instance, he opened up with the, like I said, stand up if you are a leader. And I, I didn't stand up. And I got to tell you, I was one of the few people not standing up. And I didn't do that to say, yeah, I'm not going to stand. It just was, I don't think I am because of this very important quality that I know I don't have. And the owner knew the guy. That's how we were so far up front in this massive auditorium, easily a thousand people in there, maybe more. And, you know, he decided to pick on me because he knew that he was going to pick on one of us. We're up front and he knew he knows the owner. And he asked me, son, why aren't you standing up? And I just looked at him and said, well, I don't have any patience. And how can you be a good leader if you're not patient? And he grinned ear to ear. Now, I won't get into what was said after that, but I will tell you this. Two guys that I didn't even know from a different company turned around, looked at me, and then they sat down. So that hit home. Uh, it hit home because it's true. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. I, I, honestly, you, we can't even argue it because I'll just shut it down. Not, not shut you down. I'll just tune you out or just go walk another direction because you cannot be a good leader if you do not have patience. It is impossible. If you're a coach and you have all these attributes, right, and you're just a great coach, but you don't have the patience for player development or to understand that there's a lot of things going on in the locker room of these young men's lives, how on earth, not only do you think you're going to communicate to them effectively, but how are you going to build the trust within them to know that you're here for them, patient to build with them? If you don't have that, then you're actually... <laughs> You're, you're a non-leader. As a matter of fact, you're almost a poser. You're a fraud. Now, like I said, if you're a leader and you don't have patience, it doesn't make you a follower. It just makes you a bad leader. And if you're not a leader, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a follower. But if you're going to sit up there, all right, and you're going to call yourself a leader of whatever that is, don't have patience. Let me help you out here. You're not a leader. Full stop. Do not collect, do not pass go, right? Do not collect $200. And I'm sure this would spark a lot of arguments of examples on why this doesn't matter. But the more you talk to me on this, the more you're going to make yourself look stupid because you're going to have a really hard time explaining to me how if you're not patient with nearly anything, the current situation, uh, your cabinet, Donald Trump was not a patient man. All right. How many times did he have to fire somebody within the cabinet and the turnover was outrageous? I've never seen anything like it. I mean... I'm not going to defend that at all. The guy just doesn't have patience. He's a billionaire, and you don't have to be a leader to be a billionaire. But at the same time, these guys on that level of business, they don't have 
patience because patience requires time and then time is money. Ergo, if you are showing too much patience in that position, you might be losing money. That could be correct. But when you get and you want to run a country now, I'm sorry, that's not going to cut it for me, Don. You're going to need to slow your roll and you're going to need to be patient, not just with the people that you brought in here, but be patient with the other side. I'm not saying you have to compromise with them or walk across the aisle, but if you just blow up and just make rash decisions that are based, it doesn't matter if it's logical or illogical, if it's not under the foundational aspect of not just let me think about this, but I'm going to work this through this type of patience in my leadership, then you're going to fail nearly at anything. And I believe that to be the gospel uh, because I myself know a lot about having little patience. But somehow at a young age, I still knew that. And at 26 in that auditorium, and I'll be 40 in a couple months, I feel the same way. I am not a leader because I do not have patience. And that's something I've been working on unbelievably hard through my struggles and walks in life, not just after my hiatus in January, but summing up or looking back at a lot of things Uh, I could clearly see how I could have handled situations so much better by just good old-fashioned, Bible-type, Old Testament, Job, patience. Just hang on. Let's see what happens. Stick to the script. But the problem is we don't have time for that. When you look around in sports, I mean, (laughs) who has time to be patient now, right? You're fired after like one year. I mean, it's just insane no matter where you are, athletic director or a coach, It's tough to come by to have that, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, When it comes to, like, managing a household, right, the man has to be nearly the leader of the house. That doesn't mean females or women cannot be leaders. I hope you know that it's not what I'm saying at all. My mom was a leader in our house. I don't even see my dad half the time. He was a professional student basically trying to get 19 PhDs. My mom was there most of the time. He was a good dad, and he always did what he said. And he had some patience, not enough. But then again, he had to raise me as the firstborn. So I pretty much ruined it for the other two brothers. Actually, by the time they had got done with me and then the middle one, basically, the youngest one one time came home drunk. They didn't know he'd been drinking, but I did at like midnight when I was visiting the house when I was in college and he was still in high school. He just like walked right up to his room. No even questioned him. Like, what? Like, if I wasn't home at the dot at 1030, the belt was in my dad's hand. It was just executioner, judge, jury, everything right there. But I think I just worn down my parents through the youngest. They just don't even care. They're like, yeah, whatever, he's alive. I'm like, wow, it's not how you uh, ran the ship when I, was, <laughs> when I was first mate. But I imagine that's the same in most households. The drunk neighbor, very, very similar situation. He's the eldest and was a knucklehead much like myself. Uh, <laughs> he probably wore his parents down. Uh, <laughs> I know I did on my end. But that's not really what I get in what I want to get into, you know, here. I talked about player development. Boy, if you don't have the patience to do that, I mean, I don't even know what you're doing in that role, to be honest. And, and that goes in the professional world too. Uh professional sports is what I meant there. But that one thing that we that I've mentioned like five times now, just that patience, if you go back and look at actually what happens, I mean I could line up examples for you until they wrap around the block. I don't think it would really drive the point home any harder. That guy in that symposium or that conference I was at knew exactly uh, I had hit the nail on the head and then some because he went on to talk about exactly what I just said I didn't have and how his entire entire speech was based off that and they almost didn't believe it because it was too perfect. It was. But I just went there, and he smiled, and, and off we went. If you're in charge of a sales team, okay, 
and you don't have patience, then you are in the wrong business, all right? That doesn't mean you have to put up with people's shit or not fire people for not being good at their job or not hitting their number, but when you bring someone in, you have to be ready to develop them for the system that you have in your company. Everybody usually goes off some sort of book. I know we do that, but you have to, the patience to work them through the minor leagues, so to speak, until they're ready to get on the mound on opening day in front of all these people, and then you let them go do their thing. But it's incredible how we still don't really see that. Now, the political world, as I said, we can go on and on about that. We can go on and on about other people or other coaches. One, one example that just rings heavy to me is probably with the best college coach we've ever seen, Nick Saban. Has a lot more patience than you actually think. From what I've read uh, about him, players talking about him, whether they're scared of him after the fact or not. In the kick six game where Auburn would defeat Alabama on one of the craziest circumstances we've ever seen in the history of organized sports, Saban lines up for like a 56-yard field goal with a guy who had never made a field goal over 45 yards, and Alabama has had more problems with kickers than, let's say, Florida State uh, historically, and really he just wanted to get this game over with. They weren't even thinking if he kicks it super short, which he did, that a guy would catch the ball and no one would lay a hand on him as he scampers across the field 107 yards for a walk-off return field goal, thus spawning the Malzahn error. <laughs> error, E-R-R-O-R, not error, no, error, like you booted it because they did. Malzahn's a bum, everybody knows this. Of course, he trashed me today in a thrashing. Yikes, bad bet. But at the end of the interview, you hear Saban almost just said, we didn't want to go to overtime. Really? Yeah, we can see that. You didn't even take a chance to think of the things that could happen by just acting impulsively, not having patience in the situation. Would cost Alabama a shot at another national championship and no less at the expense of their crosstown rival, Auburn, in the Iron Bowl. The examples could go on and on and on. But whether you're the leader of a household which is very important. You have to have patience with your children. And it's sad to say that it nearly will be 40 in two months. I'm just understanding this here in 2022. You have to have patience with your spouse, right? It's sad to say that here I'm admitting this now, I've been married for a long time, or at least uh, almost 10 years, nine years. Um, yeah, we're coming up on, ooh, 10, 10 years here in a few months. Yikes. Ooh, better get on that one, belts. <laughs> we'll go to the Olive Garden. Get her a fine bottle of wine there. Nice uh, bottle of uh, fish eye, Chardonnay. But my point is that even you can look at it in the smallest of ways and the largest of ways, from CEOs of billion-dollar companies to people running this country to people running a small sales team or to just running your household, even if it's just three of you, if you do not have patience, then you will not only fail, but you will set up inevitable future failures because the only thing that's going to trigger is more impatience throughout. It's a very transitive and almost a contagious type thing that I could attest to a thousand percent what that looks like now, trying to look back, reflect on some things to see like, man, wow, it goes way beyond just let's stop and think about this. Patience needs to be drilled into all of us, especially as men, so we don't just run off and do random things and make crazy decisions where you know, there is a whole lot I could tie into that, but most of that comes back to just good old-fashioned, as they say, patience is a virtue, and man, they are not lying about that. I really want to go more and more on this, 
but I think that you understand what I'm trying to say. And just in case you didn't, let me go ahead and, and drill this home one more time before we get into the picks here. If you are over anything, any amount of people, I don't care. If you don't have patience, let me help you out here. You are not a leader. It's that simple. The picks, oof, the Molly music, about to get warmed up here. But there's a guy I want to talk to that I'm going to lead right into when it comes to the word that I just keep saying, the word that you're probably already sick of me saying. But Jim Mora Jr. is an interesting cat. He really is. And, you know, his father, Jim Mora, playoffs, he was the before Sean Payton, the best coach the Saints had ever had, which isn't saying much, but, you know, he took a decades of losing and won the division, the, the NFC West with the 49ers in there a couple times. One of the best defenses the NFL have ever seen, the Dome Patrol. Uh, you know, Sam Mills, Ricky Jackson, Vaughn Johnson, Pat Swilling, and these guys. Just, uh, just a murderous group down there. And his son kind of took the same persona uh, as his father. And although Mora wasn't the most patient of fellas, his son would prove to be, he was a hell of a football player. He played over there at Washington. He was a defensive back. Um, Jim Moore, big, Jim Moore is bigger than you think. I saw him at Home Depot a long time ago. He still lives in New Orleans, actually. He has a house down there. You can see him from time to time. But Mora uh, was over, Mora Jr. was over the Atlanta Falcons where he got his big break there. He was going to be the Falcons coach for a few years. And Arthur Blank is an idiot. I don't care what anyone says. He's a billionaire, a very successful guy. But, you know, the coaching carousel in Atlanta has been, you know, just as bad as the one in Tampa for so long. And not just because of patience, but for a lot of other reasons. But Mora had Michael Vick, and I think most people would think that to be a blessing. And sometimes it was, but more or less was also be a curse as you had to deal with your offensive line leading the league and holding every year because, oh, we saw Vic do all these cool plays on the highlight reel. What you don't see is the 90% of the time that doesn't work when your center is trying to, as your quarterback reverses the field for the fifth time, you're going to just eventually tackle somebody. It's what happened. The Falcons lived in second and 20-ville because of all of Vic's you know, improvisational skills, which basically every play was a broken play. And he was a good coach. I like what they had set up there. TJ Duckett at fullback, Warwick Dunn, the big white dude Finner and split out there. Algie Crumper at tight end, a good offensive line. But, you know, eventually Blank got a little tired of him, but Moore was still very hireable, went to UCLA. And even over there, it didn't really work out. The guy is pretty much a winner. Uh, he, he is. Then he took a step back and he went into, you know, commentating. I enjoy his commentary. He's very smart. He's highly intelligent. Uh, I think he's a good coach and... And he has displayed an unbelievable amount of patience. And I've been waiting for this game this, this week, actually. If you didn't know, uh, Jim Moore Jr. went to coach Connecticut. And he stepped in there a couple years ago as a coordinator, an assistant, and then assumed the role to be their, their head coach. He doesn't need the money. Moore is actually very successful off the field and a lot of investments. I was reading about that some time ago. But Jim Moore Jr., uh, takes this Connecticut role where they're not even in a conference. And it's not like Notre Dame used to be independent and BYU. That's because they made billions of dollars or millions of millions playing all these teams 
in conferences, and it would only hurt them to get into a conference. Well, UConn was kicked out of the American Conference because they're horrible, can barely field a football team. And here this man is, who at one point you know, was winning a division in the NFL, now is taking on the ranks of one of the worst teams in college football. And UConn needs the money, so they'll play just about anybody. So they do a lot of tune-up games in the beginning. They go play Michigan. They get the shit kicked out of them. Well, that's not really a winnable game for them. They go to NC State. They go to Syracuse. They get annihilated. And I was actually able to hear on UConn's website one of the speeches he gave before they played Fresno last week at home as a 16-point underdog to Fresno State. And, man, I can't find it because UConn's website's a joke. But the whole reason I was doing that was the, was the understanding I'd be able to play you, you know, this audio that he had, well, a video. And it was, it was ridiculous. It was almost like I asked him or just set it up because of that. I can't find it now. It's like gone. But basically this dude gets into how we're not going to judge our team because of who we played and the and the margin of points at which we scored and given up because we played some really good teams. He basically gets into saying how teams in that weight class they can beat. And Mora has done an unbelievable job. UConn wasn't supposed to win two games this year. And guess what? As a 16-point dog to Fresno State, <laughs> they go ahead and win the game outright 19-14 to in some nasty, grimy game up there in front of like 16 people in Connecticut. And it's just an unbelievable thing for a guy of that caliber to be coaching at a, at a school where they barely even have a football team. And the way that he gets these guys ready and got them ready last week, one can only believe he's going to do the same thing this week. So we're going to Connecticut. Let's do this. UConn, who basically runs the football 75 times a game with Devontae Houston, their running back. He'll get about 56 touches in this entire game. They're going to play Florida International, and UConn is favored on the road. You could have bet this game. So Florida International is one of the worst teams. They're about four-point favored in this game before the season started. All these games are up, and I was looking at UConn's schedule, and now UConn's a five-point favorite at Florida International. I'm sorry. I know this means makes no sense to really anyone who cares about UConn. I do. I think Moore is doing exactly what you need to do. I wish I had five hours to talk about this, but I don't. But there's a reason why UConn, after just beating Fresno, is now laying five points on the road to Florida International. They're going to manhandle this team. 48 points, low total, perfect for UConn. They're laying five. It's going to go up. I think UConn may even shut this team out. I'm serious. I like UConn to win this game by at least two touchdowns. And it's such an amazing look for what I want to talk about because the only way you can coach this team is two reasons. If you need the money, and he doesn't, <laughs> Or if you just like to be a coach or maybe a leader and do this the right way from a foundational aspect, develop these players through the virtue of patience into them and you get back out what you put into them. And right now, UConn's already achieving way more than Vegas thought they could. And you can probably look at them to win a couple more games this year. We're going to be on UConn a few times. So I don't think anyone is looking at this game. Opened up at four and a half, got up to five, up to five and a half, back to five. I think people are still like, how can UConn be favored here? Yeah, I think the same thing. But they run the football effectively. They play assignment defense. Big page out of Iowa's defense over here. We like UConn to cover the five points at Florida International. That game kicks down there, 6 o'clock Eastern time. It is going to be on television, and I'm watching that game. I am going to be watching that game. Of all the games we could pick, of course, Belts goes to the absolute slums of college football. I'll take the patient man. 
give me a real leader, Amora Jr., to get down there and roll their ass, get back up to Connecticut with two wins, which is probably one more than they should have had already. Wisconsin just fired their coach. A lot's going on with Wisconsin right now. They're going to go to Northwestern, opened up at 8, got up to 10. Now it's down to 9.5. We're going on the record. We do like Wisconsin for a lot of reasons in this game. I'm not even going to get into who's coaching the team now and why that's a good thing. This is a fade on Northwestern. They seem to play to the level of their competition. They did end Nebraska's season in August in Europe, which is notable. <laughs> and just like basically the Vikings ended the Saints season in September in Europe <laughs> last week. Game is absolutely ridiculous. We are going to back Wisconsin here after fading them last week, betting with Illinois. I think Wisconsin's going to blow the doors off these guys for a lot of reasons. It's not just because Northwestern can't beat Miami, Ohio, and Northern Illinois, or excuse me, Southern Illinois, the Salukis. It's because this team most probably will show up to play in this aspect. And if Northwestern really has problems stopping the run versus lower-level teams, you're going to have a big problem stopping the run versus Wisconsin here. And I do think you're going to see a rejuvenated effort from the Badgers here. Maybe a little hoorah there at the end. The way they ended the interviews about Chris, a lot of the players were sad. Some even cried, took to Twitter. They're going to try to win this game for him. As corny as that sounds, if there ever was a team where there was merit to it, it'd probably be the Wisconsin Badgers. We're going to take them, laying the 9.5 on the road at Northwestern. This is when it gets a little hairy for us here because there are so many games that we're going to have to put on the Instagram page. But I got one for you right now. I don't care. I'll go right back to the well. LSU go down 17 points in conference. This is when everything falls apart of Coach O's there. And they put it together, come back, dominate three quarters after that, kept Auburn basically outside the 50-yard line for the majority of that game. And that's with a quarterback injury. Nussmeyer had to come in. Daniels should be fine to play in this game. He doesn't know how to slide yet. Maybe we can help him out with that one. But either way, there is no reason on earth Tennessee comes in this game favored. This reminds me of when Georgia came in town a few years ago with Jake Fraud. I mean, Fromm laying nine points. LSU belts them. I got it at four and a half two weeks ago. I can't put that on here. Right now they sit at three. We're taking LSU plus the three at home versus Tennessee for a thousand reasons. And look, if they have problems stopping the run versus Pittsburgh and these other teams that have ran the ball on Tennessee, they're not going to stop LSU. It's one of the highest totals I've ever seen at Death Valley, 63, 64 points. We're putting a lot of merit towards Tennessee's offense, and they can move the football. But I just think it comes down to LSU's defense is better than their offense. LSU can run the ball more effectively than they will throw the ball in LSU. So we're going to do something we haven't done since LSU played Alabama when they won the national championship on the road. We're taking the alternate right, the alt-right, <laughs> the alternate line. Not only are we take an LSU plus the three, I'm going to lay two and a half. I'll give you two and a half points. Sell them to the house on FanDuel has a plus 136. So we'll take the three points, and I'm also going to lay two and a half for a lesser unit varietal. I don't get into the units too much in here for a lot of reasons, but both of those are going up on the record. LSU, I should get greedy and lay more than that, but I'll give you two and a half points at plus 136. So we got UConn minus the five, Wisconsin minus the 10, LSU plus the three, and the alt-right, <laughs> the MAGA. Minus two and a half plus the 136. Those plays are on the record. Moving around the league, there's a lot of games we've got to take closer looks at. But one that's going to go on the record right now, I guess I'll have to die on this hill. Western Kentucky plays Texas San Antonio. 
Western Kentucky, every every game this year has gone over except for the Troy game last week. Troy's able to run the ball, keep them off the field. Texas San Antonio has gone over every single week, and they're not running it by effectiveness. They are just bombing this thing out. This is one of the highest totals I've seen all year. It's at 71 and a half. That is a rack of points. But you're going to have to get the Secret Service. Couldn't get me out of this one. So I'm taking this one too. Western Kentucky, Texas San Antonio over the 71 and a half. And here's the ones we're going to be looking at on the Instagram page. But there's just injuries everywhere. South Carolina, I like them getting 10 and a half. Now they're getting down to 7.5 at Kentucky. you got to find out what the hell's going on there. There are some injuries. That's going to be an Instagram play. Wake Forest Army. I'm hearing Wake Forest's team total's not up yet. If it's anything under 38 points, we'll be taking the over with Wake Forest team total, even in a disappointing spot, potentially, for who they have next week. We're going to be looking at that. Washington State and our boy Cam Ward getting 13.5 points at USC. I'm sorry. That is just ridiculous especially after what USC has to go to next week. I don't think what USC is nearly as good uh, as people are making them seem. That game versus Oregon State and Stanford, really hairy. Washington State easily going to win over five and a half games. Uh, we'll be looking closely at Washington State there. Arizona, Oregon, the total at 69. Injury report still to come on this. I like the over in this game, but we need to see more. We don't know yet, so that's going to be more of an Instagram play. Rutgers, Nebraska, 49 and a half. I don't know how. That game makes it over to get safely 50 points to the over. Huh. I'm 0-2 on unders this year. Won the worst one ever. But I'll be looking closely at Rutgers, Nebraska as well. So all of those will be on the Instagram. On the record, LSU plus the three. And the alt-right line of minus two and a half plus 136. UConn minus the five. Western Kentucky, Texas San Antonio over the 71 and a half. And we'll go ahead and take Wisconsin. Minus a nine and a half at Northwestern. And I am telling you, I really like a couple pro games too. But I just don't think I have the strength. I really think the Saints with Dalton are going to win this game. But I don't think I can do that to you guys. Not that you'd bet that game anyway. But I know a lot of people do bet the plays I make on here and some bigger than others. So I do take this very seriously. I'm sorry. This has been, I'm, and I just don't have the intensity I normally do. I just feel, I think I'm getting sick. I might have the 19th variant of the COVID. Of course, I just blame that on my daughter or my wife, and I'll just take off and golf for a couple weeks. That's what our bodies seem to do, right? So anyway, we look forward to seeing how these picks come on. I can't wait to hear about the drunk neighbor. I can't wait to see what Tommy Bench, Bro Exotic, all these guys coming on right now. And one more time, be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Reach out, touch your brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Or follow us on Instagram, at the Sports Antelope. Or I will cut. <laughs> the drunk neighbor joins the sports and load episode 120 how you doing there pal doing very well doing very well it's always great to get a road victory in the sec yes it is as uh, i watched that game with you i may got a little too over the top laying the nine points however there even was a chance to cover there after they went down 17 nothing yeah pretty crazy um i think something that you would have never seen in the old regime uh, at least not the last few years, right? Like if a team got up on LSU the last few years, it felt like it was over immediately. Yeah, yeah. And there are a lot so, of things. I'm sorry. So while they're not going to – you really want this team to start getting off to a better start, one thing that is nice is that there's like a C, actual CEO in charge, and it feels like it's like, okay, let's just move on to the second quarter. All right, now let's move on to the third quarter. All right, now let's finish a game. Like, So, you know, it, it was encouraging. 
I'm going to keep using that. That's the word of the year I for like LSU. It. Uh, so uh, seeing them run the ball so well on the road was nice. Seeing them throw was absolutely atrocious. Um, Nussmeyer coming in did not help that at all. But, you know, good win, I guess. Um, got out of there. So got out of there with a win. Uh, offensive line comes back fully healthy for Tennessee. So always good to put another nail in a coffin of a coach in the SEC West. Yes, it is, um, especially with the upcoming schedule. You know, LSU's only loss really doesn't look that bad now, and I think we're talking about it. The Mississippi State win looks huge because they smashed day and how much you want to talk about it. They're a big favorite over Arkansas. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. Boy, was I wrong about Arkansas winning the SEC West. It seems like that, oh, I like that. that loss to A&M really just broke them. Yeah. The, the, the oink doink. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, and State, as I said on the podcast, was going to run the thicker wallet maroons out of the gym, and that's exactly what they did. They beat the hell out of them. They did. That game was embarrassing. I can't believe I didn't bet that game just because it was just that easy. Well, speaking of easy, let's just transition over to what's coming this week. A long time ago, as you remember, I don't bet LSU too often, but a Georgia team came here to a morning or afternoon game. They were laying nine points in Death Valley, and I looked at you and said, I'm either going to be broke or a happy man, (laughs) because there is no way that Jake Fraud and company come in here, and I believe they beat the living piss out of them. If they would have scored touchdowns and not field goals, they would have won by 50 and I kind of feel like this is the same thing, but this is your version. Here comes Tennessee. What do you think? Tennessee is a talented team, but they should not be favored coming no. into that building. And no I'm way. sorry, the offense is awesome, but you know who else is awesome? The LSU defense, and it's healthy. And, boy, they can get to a quarterback pretty well. Uh, this kid hooker is good. He's a senior in the SEC, so obviously he's going to play well. Uh, but, you know... This defense is is pretty nasty. They gave up one like weird fluke touchdown against Auburn last week, and then, but you know, once again, like it, it was just like the Mississippi State game where they jumped out ahead. LSU's offense didn't help them out at all. Um, I mean, Christ. But then <laughs> you know, just like the State game, they get behind, and then they did not let them score after the first quarter, and really. I mean, they had the ball a couple times, like at like the 45, and you just knew that they weren't going to score. So there, there's a lot of confidence in that defense, and even against this team. And, and I don't think that this Tennessee team could stop anybody running the football. So LSU proved last week against an Auburn defense that is probably better than a Tennessee defense, this time will be at home, that they can run the football. So that's where I really like it, if they can just control the momentum of this game, just like they did against State. Sorry. A little beer burp there. Uh, but I, I like LSU in this game. And actually, me and uh, Mrs. Neighbor will be I in attendance. Going to the game. That's why I should I join you for that one. I'd love to go to that one. I have a pension for I don't like Tennessee. So um, I could definitely join you there and root against some, some idiots from Nashville. I am prepped to hear Rocky Top 8,000 oh, times. it's going to be awesome. Gain of three to the left. That's <laughs> 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 so stupid. But speaking of Tennessee, this is kind of my logic. Okay. So you're going to make them a four-and-a-half-point favorite when it opened up, which I jumped on because that's absurd. I couldn't put that on the show because the line's going to be all different by the time we get to it. It'll get down to like two or two-and-a-half. But I think we know a lot more about LSU than Tennessee. 
So what do we know about LSU? Well, they're good enough to be Florida State after playing, or you know, they should have been Florida State after playing a basically terrible football game. Still could have won. Trash. Football. Good enough to beat Mississippi State after not showing up for an entire half, and good enough to come down seventeen nothing on the road in a night game in the SEC. That's pretty good. We kind of know them. Here's and my state thing. champions. In the state state of champions. They whip Southern's ass. But what do we know about Tennessee? That they went to overtime with Pittsburgh, or that they manhandled Florida at home? Who's better? I mean, uh. Pittsburgh might be better than Florida, to be honest with you. I don't even know. I feel like all we know is Tennessee can move the ball on a bum squad, and now here they come here, and I'm surprised that it's LSU's giving away points. I almost feel like it's an autoplay. <laughs> but, I mean, that... go ahead. Yeah, it's just weird. I, I, I don't... I guess it's like they're number eight and we're 25 or something. <laughs> yeah, I, or, yeah. I mean, the quarterback, AR-15, who doesn't <laughs> like to be called that anymore... Who is supposedly going to be this great talent in the NFL? Well, he's not in college football. I'm sorry, he's just not. And he moved the ball pretty well against Tennessee. So I got to think Jaden Daniels is going to rebound from his bad game last week, especially being a home game again. I and I just I, I think LSU has that advantage. Like I think LSU's defense is better than Tennessee's offense, and especially with a home crowd behind them, and then the ability to just hold the ball and keep that offense off the field. During times, it's going to be a beautiful day. I don't think like weather is get, like the heat isn't going to affect anything in this game or anything like that. But just holding on to the football and just stopping them from ever ever getting into a rhythm is going to be huge. Uh, keeping Rocky Top out of the ears of the fans in Death Valley. So I, I think LSU's. I, I just it's hard for me to really see how you could bet Tennessee in this game. And, and I, you know, who knows? They may come in there and drum them, but. It's a lot like, I'd like to compare this to like when Nick Saban's first year at LSU, he lost the UAB earlier in the year, which obviously is a worse loss than Florida State. But then they <laughs> played Tennessee at LSU, home game. Of course, that was a night game, and upset them. And it was this huge win. And I think Brian Kelly has this opportunity to get his first like real signature win. He's got two SEC wins so far, both good wins. But this would be, a, I guess, a top 10 team at home, really take this team out of where they're going and have some momentum going in Florida, in Gainesville. And I, this is a huge game for LSU. I, I think this could be there where they either take the next step and move. Listen, again, they're not going to the fucking playoffs. But they are gonna. They can win some games. And this is where you can continue to grow and continue to be a better program, not just a team. And, you know, this this could be a huge step in that right direction. And you brought this up on the first one we did. You said, don't be surprised if both these teams are undefeated. You're close. I mean, LSU just has one loss. Tennessee has not lost yet. Uh, and it still is a huge game with SEC implications. If LSU does win this game, now you can start asking some pretty serious questions. If Tennessee is supposed to be the contender against Georgia over there, uh, I have some questions what LSU might be able to do, especially, you know, Daniels can stay healthy. He's yeah. freaking – somebody teach this man how to slide. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, yeah. the guy – I mean, his favorite play is the broken play, and I love it. He's got to learn how to slide. He <laughs> he actually tried to do it last week, and it looked so uncomfortable. It's like, all right, just lower your head next time. <laughs> but, uh, by the way, can we say one – ask one question real quick? Why the hell is this an 11 a.m. game? I don't and know. Why – so we could have Auburn and Georgia – or Texas A&M in Alabama. Oh, that looks like a great game now. That looks like a real great game. What are they favored by 
the national debt. Something like that. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and then Auburn and Georgia, that looks doesn't look like a good game. I mean, Brian Harson looks like he's ready to quit. He was calling up trick plays, having Coy Moore oh. throw the football last Jeez. week. So, I mean, what are we doing here? Uh, CBS schedule, pathetic. Yeah, this should not be a this should be a night game in there. Um, and I, you know, I, I really the night games are bad. I think LSU. I think the fans will be ready. This is the big one. It's nice uh, for me. I like a nice morning drink well, and then go, have, have yeah. uh, be able to get home and watch the late games. So can so who does who does LSU have after Tennessee? Florida. So that is the Florida game in Gainesville. And that's out there. So you have to think if they were if they're able to beat Tennessee and they should. They're probably going to be, I don't know if they're favored in Florida, but if, if, if there's a favorite there, it'll be short. If they come out of that game with no SEC losses yet, I guess you're really creeping up on a potential nine-win season. I don't want to get it too early, uh, but it looks like if they can beat those guys, uh, not many teams can beat them outside of Alabama. Yeah, it's going to be Ole Miss after that, and then you get that week off, and then you play Bama. So Ole Miss. That's, yeah. Ole Miss, I, that's another team that I'd really like to see a little bit more of. I think they should have lost. Last week they got away with one, but before that they haven't played anybody. So I'm I'm very interested to see what they. Oh wait, no, they play Vanderbilt. This oh week. So yeah, you're not going to learn anything. And then they play Auburn. Yes, at home. So Ole Miss is probably going to come in like ranked number five in the country. Yep, yep. They probably truly will because they're going to win these next two games, and other people are going to fall. So they they will be a, like a top five team whenever they come to Death Valley in a few weeks. That's again. That's one game I want to go to. I have a. I love these Ole Miss fans. It's really easy to get them going. Uh, so give us a prediction here. The high-scoring Tennessee team comes to I, – I do. I agree with you. I think LSU's defense is better than Tennessee's offense. And I watched Pittsburgh for four and a half quarters run the ball down Tennessee's mouth. And usually when somebody does that, they ain't just have a good day. It's because they can do it. They push you around. Right. And if they can do that, LSU's probably doing the same thing. So probably a little higher than last week. But what do you think? How I like to always say, wait for them. Yeah, 27 24. 27-24. Close one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the drunk neighbor. He's oh, he's two. He's done this twice. That is incredible. We don't can't expect the guy to pick the score. Should we just bet Tennessee uh first half though? Because that's the way that these games are. Yeah, it have seems been like started. that's a lock, man. Can we just start throwing <laughs> that into a same game parlor? Or just do an LSU second half. He's <laughs> just uh keep it open-ended. Cause yeah, the first half for LSU. Oh man. But I think they're getting a little just better. Just take the punt. It's like Rocky. Just Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Get away from it. ain't so bad. It ain't so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. All right, Drug Dave, anything you want to close with? Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Bro Exotic jumps on the sports antelope here on this lovely evening. Bro, how you doing, man? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic, uh, Vice Pope of Cal, Church of Woke. Uh, what's going on, bro? Sick. Nothing, man. I'm just looking forward to getting your pick. I mean, you started off just like I did, right? We couldn't buy a win. My last two weeks have been great. Three weeks, actually. And you are coming off another win, East Carolina. Releasing the Kraken on South Florida, just as you called it. That was a beating. So congratulations, bro. You are now two and two. And we're looking for you to now get on the winning side of this thing here. We're all looking forward to your picks this week. The floor is yours. Yeah, dude. Um we're uh we're really happy to see uh Mother Earth. Just uh you know, obviously yeah, all of our thoughts and prayers go out to the people in South Florida, but 
uh, it, like we said, it's all due to Ron DeSantis and his uh, climate change denying ways. Uh, so it's just uh, we just we see we saw it happen. We knew it was going to happen, dude, and we just knew that the uh, that kraken that was released on them was going to be released upon the University of South Florida uh, at the hands of the pirates of East Carolina University. Uh, they definitely did get the weapons. So where are you going this week? Uh, this week, dude, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take this one. Uh, what I'm gonna call the white privilege bowl. Hmm. Uh, we had the the triple C, as I like to call it, aka the cisgender. Catholic Caucasian fighting Irish of Notre Dame uh, versus the uh, the white Nazi uh, storm and Mormons of BYU who campaigned against uh, gay marriage uh, hashtag women's rights. Um, so yeah, dude, it's just, uh, a battle. This is an Armageddon between uh, the battle of the two evils here, dude. Uh, uh, is it the white Catholics? Is it the white Mormons? Well, I'll tell you this, dude. Um, even though Pope Francis is pretty woke. The Irish yeah. Catholics tend to hit their women after drinking more than any other Catholics in the world, statistically, uh, after they've been drinking that fire water, which is uh, not racist and culturally appropriating uh, towards Native Americans because, of course, I'm 116th Comanche, which explains my inherent nature towards defending my people. Uh, so that being said, <laughs> the Irish Catholics, dude, and their, uh, their drunk, violent tendencies uh, toward women, Hashtag women's rights. Uh, we're going to side with BYU, dude. Our Lady Cougars uh, plus three and a half. We're going to uh, we're going to go ahead and defend women and the rights the rights not to be battered uh, by drunk Irish Catholics. Where's this game being played? Uh, this will be played in Sin City. So now we have white on white evil. The White Devils will be playing in Sin City. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be crazy, dude. But uh, Brigham Young is Brigham Young's plus three and a half. Yeah, dude. Um, they're you just, are they're, siding with this, just, just so we all understand. You're siding with the Mormons here, not the Catholics. Siding with the uh, the uh, the Lady Cougars of BYU plus three and a half women's rights. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's our. Uh, it's gonna be our pick here, dude. Interesting. Are right, you going to do a short dog here on a neutral field in Sin City with? Yeah. This one, this one could be right up your alley. Uh, boy, I can't well, wait. You know, dude. It's, again, it's just all about women's rights. Um, and just, of course, of course. We just, we just can't. Uh, we can't have this uh, further. This further perpetuated uh, culture of Irish Catholics hitting their women, dude. And uh, we're going to stick up with our Lady Cougars. Uh, yeah, it's the right thing to do. It's a woke thing to do. It's gonna. It's gonna be what we're gonna pick. Okay, I agree with that. Uh, I do want to also say there's a certain team from the ACC. I'm not going to name anything, but I, I have been patiently waiting for you to side against this team. Oh, it's winter, only don't say winter anything. Is coming, dude. Winter yeah. is coming. Excuse me. Winter is, <laughs> winter is coming. Okay, okay. I because I this is kind of your Super Bowl. I've been waiting for this one, but anyway. In the meantime, we'll stick with uh, yeah the Lady Cougars plus three. Anything you want to close with, bro? Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, no joke, stay woke. And uh, go BYU Lady Cougars. Hashtag White Lives Matter. Hashtag Women's Rights, dude. Take care. UN and OAS, they have their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines. Tommy Bench jumping on the sports end load here. How's it going there, Hoss? 
Not bad, Chief. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. And I uh gonna be doing a lot better having you come on here and educate us on so many things that just slip under the cracks with our new system. Luckily we have you to net these things. So you didn't even tell me where you were going, but it doesn't matter. Floor is yours. All right. So we got a lot to cover. Let's let's start off with some heavy hitting um, action. So latest updates in Ukraine. Uh, over this past week, Russia held their referendum to see if certain regions, I believe it was four regions, wanted to join the Russian Federation. And I know this is tough to believe, but in the results of an election run by Russian government forces, such as the KB, KGB um, at Al, the results of the election were the following percentages from the four regions wanted to join the Russian Federation. 99.2%, and 96.78%. Now, to put that in perspective, when Saddam Hussein would quote-unquote get re-elected, he would usually get re-elected with somewhere in the margin of 85 to 80, 88 or 89%. Um, the idea that there was a region where 99.3% of people wanted to join the Russian Federation, you, you couldn't, if you lined up 100 people and said, would you rather eat a bowl of ice cream or get shot in the face? You couldn't get 99% of people to agree to which of those propositions is better. Uh, hmm. So it's obviously a sham. Nobody serious takes it seriously. Nobody thinks that there's an actual that higher percentage of people in those regions that wish to join the Russian Federation. By the same token, it's not zero. Um, and doing some reading on the polling, it's real tough to get a sense there are some polls that say it's as low as the single digits. There are some regions and some polls that say in certain areas it might be as high as 20 to 30 percent, but it is nowhere near the numbers that are being presented. So we should all just look at that and roll our eyes and, and not take that seriously. But what should be taken, at least with a grain of seriousness, to think about how we would react. You know, a couple, about a month ago, there was the whole, who could, could Putin use a nuke? Then that seemed to die down. Now, as the Ukrainians are, are making progress, and for example, one particularly embarrassing situation is the Russians held this referendum, and then a day or two later abandoned a town called Lyman, Lima, in, in the eastern part of Ukraine. I mean, essentially, their troops just locked, they told everybody there was a curfew, go inside your homes. And then when citizens came out the next morning milling around, there were no Russian troops. And in fact, there were Ukrainian troops entering the city or the, the small town from the West. So it was, it was an odd turn of events where allegedly a referendum was held where over 90% of the people said they wanted to be part of the Russian Federation. And then the Russian troops abandoned ship from this one particular area. So of course, that's very, it's very embarrassing. Uh, Putin's even dealing with problems on the home front. He's calling up a mobilization. And while some people make it sound like a draft, similar to what we do, it, it's a little bit different only from the perspective that uh, military age males have to serve at least a year in the military in Russia, by and large, the overwhelming majority. So it's not necessarily that they're drafting people off the street with no military experience. That being said, these are not well-trained soldiers. These are not people who have uh, many of whom do not have an interest in going and fighting in a, in a pretty brutal war in Ukraine. So, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of military age males are making for the exits. I mean, they, Finland closed their border off to Russian Russians coming in. So there's obviously 
dropping support for this special military operation, as Putin calls it, in Ukraine, as people are, are fleeing the country versus risking getting mobilized and placed into combat. Now, they said, well, we'll give them two weeks of training. You know, I, the idea of getting two weeks of training and then going up against Ukrainian guys who've been doing this for four to six months, um, you know, w- without stopping and are fighting for their homeland, I, that doesn't sound like a recipe for success to me. And, and again, I do feel the need to, to sort of throw in there. Let's not make the mistake of thinking the Ukrainians are these, you know, ultra uh, intrinsically good, good guys. No, there's a lot of problems with Ukraine, a lot of corruption. One one of my frustrations and a lot of Americans' frustrations are the billions and billions of dollars that we're sending over there. I'm sure a fair bit of it ending up in in the wrong hands due to corruption and whatnot. I'm sure there's a lot of people profiting off of the you know endless spigot of money coming from the U.S. That being said, let's let's bring it back to. Over the last week, there's sort of the, the growing discussion of could Putin use a tactical nuke? And, and some high up in the Russian military apparatus made some comments about anything is on the table. You know, one of these innocuous statements where it's hard to pin down what he means. But if you want to extrapolate from it, could Putin use a tactical nuke? Now, let, let's let's be specific about what we're talking about. We're not talking about some 30 megaton bomb that would wipe out a city the size of New York. You know, you're talking about a tactical nuke, which is still a nuclear weapon, but has a yield measured in kilotons, you know, a, a briefcase nuke or a nuclear weapon that you put on the end of a piece of artillery and you'd fire it 15 or 20 miles. And that would be more than enough standoff to not feel the effects of the radiation. It would be enough to essentially wipe out a town that's on the order of 30 to 50,000 people, depending on how densely populated. But that, that's a lot of the smaller towns and cities in the eastern part of Ukraine are sort of those size settlements. So, so you got to ask a couple questions. One, what would what would be the desired outcome? Would the desired would, would the calculus in Putin's mind be? Well, if I fire off one small tactical nuke and wipe out a town, I'm showing the world that I'm serious. But you kind of have to think. Well, if you're willing to do one, why not do like five or ten and and level half of Eastern Ukraine? But again, if the objective is to actually bring Eastern Ukraine under heel and make it part of the Russian Federation, why would you want to nuke somewhere that you essentially want? <laughs> so then is so then is the calculus, well, let's see if we can sneak a suitcase nuke into Kiev or Kiev, however you pronounce it, or Luhansk or one of these other major, uh, Kharkiv, one of these other major Ukrainian cities that none of us knew about until six months ago. Uh, so it's, it's, you really have to ask the question, what could he potentially gain from that? Could he be playing into madman calculus of just, well, we're just going to do something to show him we're crazy. But then let's ask the next question. Say he does it. Say it's one, you know, five to seven kiloton nuclear weapon is is fired out of an artillery piece into a you know settlement of 40 to 50,000 people. You know, 90% of the people are killed. Uh, the, the place is a bit of a wasteland for a little bit. What would we do? What would what would the Europeans do? I mean, the Europeans would be real sensitive to that. And and by the way, Putin has directly made statements saying, well, you Americans, how dare you lecture us? You actually use nuclear weapons twice. Of course, that, that's every tyrant and dictator's comeback when they're hmm. ever having to square off against the United States in a moral or ethical discussion about warfare. And it's weak sauce. And we all know it's weak sauce. But what would we do? And here's the thing. I, I don't think anybody can give you a great answer on what we should do. 
because there aren't a lot of great options. All right, they detonate a five to seven kiloton nuclear weapon. They take credit for it. There's no ambiguity about who does it, okay? This isn't one of those, they do it and they say, oh, how did that happen? What are you talking about? They do it, they take credit for it. They make it clear that wasn't their intention. I mean, are we gonna nuke Moscow? Do we fire off an ICBM? Do we, I, I don't know. You know, would that be enough for the, with it for the nations of the world to include India and China, who, by the way, are happy to be buying Russian oil and natural gas right now? Do you, would they join the, the community of nations and say, yep, eh, that's, uh, you crossed the line there, Vlad, and, and all come together and, and truly sanction Russia back into the Stone Age? No. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would think they look at it and go, well, as long as that radiation doesn't blow this way, <laughs> not really going to make a big deal. And, that, and then that leads to, now I'm going to get political, okay? That was sort of the high mind, and now I'm going to get very political. Regardless of what the answer is, and I'm not sitting here saying I would know what the right answer would be. Do you really want Joe Biden fielding that? Do you look at him and go, that's the guy who possesses the mental acuity to weigh a number of factors, many of which the average American or even the average politico or news junkie is not read into the details of? He, I mean, you have to believe He's got access to levels of information that most of us never will. Is he competent, capable enough to quickly do a multi-factor analysis of the situation and come up with at least a better than worst outcome? Which, and what I mean by that is an outcome that's 51% good and 49% bad. Could he at least get to that? And that's where I think you're playing. That's the sphere you're playing with a situation like this, where if he drops a you know five to seven kiloton nuclear weapon, there isn't like a answer that's 99% obvious on what to do next. You're probably going to have to figure out, okay, this is like a 60-40 good decision, and we're going to go with it. Um, I, I, I don't think you nuke a Russian city. Maybe, maybe, we, may, maybe we send in, you know, a thousand drones and destroy every Russian tank that's in Ukraine. Just fail swoop, uh, strikes from above, and we make it clear that we will destroy every piece of Russian armor that is, you know, west of the Ukrainian border as determined. Um, but then, of course, that escalates because what happens when one of our service members gets killed trying to pull that off? So I, I almost don't see a way out if he crosses that Rubicon. The question is, does does he have an end game that would get him to cross that? So it's and it's really and do you trust do you trust Joe Biden and his current team? I mean, people, people that are obsessed about transgender nonsense and all, all this ridiculousness to make a serious decision on a nuclear weapon was just detonated in Eastern Europe. What do we do? And I don't have a lot of confidence that the current administration is, are the people there. And for all those listening saying, could you measure with Donald Trump? We wouldn't be in this position. It, it no. is almost an indisputable fact that if Donald Trump were still president, we would not be in this position. Nord Stream 2 never would have gotten approved. It wouldn't have become a choke point. I, I don't think he would have allowed Vlad um, to usurp the world stage in this kind of way. Uh, it just, it wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't happen. Point blank, wouldn't happen. And we'd probably be gearing up to ship Europe, you know, gigatons of natural gas and sell it to them. And we'd be making money instead of the Russians. Well, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. I just heard a, a hot mic where Biden says nobody f's with Biden. I mean, clearly that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I mean, I I have to think that he's right there, and nobody messes with with Biden. Actually, it's kind of like everybody does now. That's right. okay, right? Who cares? Well, and maybe we could send Hunter over and pick up bags of cash from somebody, 
to do something. Did you, did you see there are some strippers saying that they use sex toys on him today? That's a new one. Did you see I that? I did not hear that, but it would not surprise me. Oh, I guarantee you they brought out the chainsaw varietal. Anyway, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. I saw you. That really happened, though, by the way. I'll send you the article. Pretty so funny. Se- segueing into sexual things, uh, Herschel Walker. <laughs> right. Herschel Walker, candidate uh, for Senate, in Republican nominee for the Senate seat in Georgia, currently held by Raphael Warnock. Uh, over the last two or three days, it looks like his son has had a breakdown and come out on social media and lambasted his father and saying all kinds of terrible things. He's not a family man. He was banging all kinds of women. Uh, He made it seem like it was happening while his parents were married. My understanding is his parents got divorced when he was pretty young. Look, I don't think anybody's thinking Herschel Walker was this paragon of virtue when he was an NFL player. In fact, you know, if you asked me about it a year ago, I'd probably just roll my shoulders and say, yeah, I'm sure he was sleeping around as a lot of famous athletes do. Um, the, the indictment launched by his son that he paid for an abortion for a girlfriend some time ago, maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Here's the thing. These sort of things are baked into the cake. And here's what I mean by that. When, when people say, I, how can, how can you be a Christian? How can somebody be a Christian and support Donald Trump? How can somebody, and you know, now they're trying to, how can you be a Christian or a pro-life advocate and support Herschel Walker who allegedly paid for an abortion for a girlfriend, you know, 10 or 15 years ago? The answer is simple. We, those of us who want to see, you know, conservative, right-wing, socially conservative policies put forward, realize if we wait for the perfect candidate who agrees with our principles, we'll never get there. So we'll take the imperfect person who at least says they're going to put forward our principles because the last time we made this gamble, it actually worked out for us. Donald Trump was the most pro-life candidate ever. And by the way, gun to my head, do I think Donald Trump has ever pressured or potentially paid for a woman to get an abortion at some point in his life that he potentially impregnated? Gun to my head? Yeah. I'm, I'm betting yes. Yeah. Gun to my head, life savings on the table. I'm betting yes, that that happened at some point. I I think it's possible, likely, who knows, maybe even admitted it at one point. But, but, but not voting for him for his virtue. I'm voting for him to get things done. And he got things done and was the most pro-life president we've ever had. And that includes George W. Bush. Sorry, George. Sorry, W. Sorry, Bush family. He went up to you on that. And so I think what a lot of Republicans and people who would support the kind of policy messages that Herschel Walker is claiming that he will support have accepted that we can either go with the, you know, the the Mitt Romney, who has probably, you know, never even used a four letter word in his life and never had a sip of alcohol, who ends up being a complete squish to fit in. Or we go with the imperfect guy who's got some skeletons in the closet, but at least says they're going to put forward what we want to see him put forward. So I don't see this moving the needle much. Things seem to be trending in his direction. We'll see. Again, polling probably takes a week or two to catch up to the news cycle. Uh, Things were narrowing. There were some polls showing him ahead, some showing him behind. If you start seeing multiple polls. uh, Now, for example, I'm looking at one poll that shows Warnock up by 12. Again, gun to my head, Warnock is not winning this race by 12. If he wins, he'll win by three or four at most. He's not winning this race by 12. Now, if we start seeing consistent polling that, you know, every single poll shows Warnock ahead by, say, five to seven, I'll probably say, you know, maybe that maybe that abortion story had a bigger effect on Herschel Walker than we think. I will give him credit. I thought his response, all he tweeted out was, I love my son no matter what. I, I, I think that's about the best thing you can say, because you don't want to look pet. You don't want to look like you're stooping to his level and attack him back. Um, 
You don't want to, you don't want to, you know, let me issue a 17 bullet point, you know, refutation of what my son said. I just think he, he showed like, look, I'm a dad first and I love my son no matter what. And I think that was about the best from a social media optic standpoint. I think I was about the best way to handle it. Well, I can tell you right now, if I could bet on when they knew this guy would say this, his son, it was probably a while ago. Yep. And they just held that, just like grab it by the put. I mean, they just, you hold on to these. The interesting thing to note is when they deploy, right, uh, the missile, in this case being his son, a little early, I think. Um, almost, I, I would have waited a little bit, honestly. I may have waited closer to the middle of the month before well, I pulled that one, but eh, the, no, I'm the not tough thing is strategies. With early, well, but the tough thing is with early voting, the, the October surprise, you really can't wait too long. So, and, that, and that's one of the downsides of early voting is you don't get the full information picture before you walk in and, and pull the lever for your preferred candidate. So uh, to close things out on this segment of the sports antidote, uh, not to keep hammering things, but we are. Uh, number one, the Eagles are in fact going to the Super Bowl at 4-0. Four, four in fact, they are the only undefeated team left in the NFL. I like to remind everybody. Um, so Thanks. we're just, we're, we're keeping a pace with that. And then secondly, we were right. We were right. We were right. And, and, and now it's even the mainstream media. A week ago, it was just sort of the right-wing media saying, you know, things seem to be trending back to the Republicans. And we said that about a week before they did. Well, now even the mainstream media is starting to, to write their panic pieces about, have, have Democrats lost the moment? Is the Democrat moment over? Are things shifting back in favor of Republicans? And, and, and the truth is, yes. And I believe there's a lot of polling that backs this up. And finally, I feel like an honest poll came out of Florida, shows DeSantis beating Chris by 11 points. And by the way, he's going to come out of this hurricane thing better than before because action. He, he knows he's got the perfect balance of doing and advertising that he's doing. He's got a social media team who's pretty on the ball, and they're talking about the right stuff. They're talking about, you know, oh, we've got generators going here and high water vehicles going there, and we're doing rescues. And here I am slinging hash. He actually slung some hash. I didn't know. I didn't know he went to Johnson and Wales. I saw that. No, he didn't. I did. He didn't. You did. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think he so went he, to Yale and Harvard. He and did. All that. He went to Yale and Harvard Law School. Uh, right. Quite the accomplishment. So they can't play the idiot card with him. Uh, but interestingly, <laughs> I think I actually think he will. He will be one of the few politicians who gets through a natural disaster with higher approval ratings than than before. Probably so, so. He looked pretty good. Short order guy, though. I got to say, he's that's not the first time he's been behind a stovetop. He, looked he was, and he, seen, he was asking the right – I mean, he was asking the guy, like, wait, should I use this hand to do this? And, and <laughs> so he was, he, was, he was trying to sling hash with the best of them. That's um, okay. Yeah, I like it. I like but it, it. it, by and large, and, and uh, Kemp and Abrams, Kemp seems to be holding a steady lead. That, that race is not going to be won by 50,000 points like the 2018 gubernatorial race. It, it'll be won by a solid few, I'd say, three to four-point margin. You know, I, I don't – he doesn't hit double digits over her, but – a solid three to four point margin. And again, one of the panic pieces you're seeing is are black men abandoning Stacey Abrams um, as if there's some commodity to be traded back and forth, which is just disgusting to view things that way. Yeah. Uh, so a lot, but a lot can happen. We, we are almost exactly a month out from election day uh, and a lot can happen. So get engaged, go vote. And, and do your part if, if you plan on voting for Republicans. If you want to vote the other way, Election Day is on November 10th. That's a joke. That's a joke. You can actually. Pretty good some joke. States, some states you can get in legal trouble for making statements like that. Yeah, I but, bet you could. One day when Tommy Bench has time, he will explain to the audience what he means by slinging hash as a 
friend of the family's parents one day decided to make fun of my college decision as their two sons fell off the face of the map. It's two of the biggest losers in Pennsylvania. Maybe we'll do that next week. We can, we can do a whole segment, cover yeah, a lot well, of ground. Guarantee you, you'll be laughing. Everyone will be laughing without even knowing these two guys. But anyway, anything you want to close with there, Bench? No, just looking forward to seeing the Eagles go 5-0 and this week. Yeah, who you guys got? Who y'all play? I'm a terrible fan. I should know this. I don't even uh, know. Who we, the Saints season is basically over. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I really didn't. Yeah, you guys are the only undefeated team, aren't you? Jalen Hurts. Oh, Arizona. I think we're, we're playing we're playing Arizona, which, you know. That oh, you're playing against could... the hottest coach of all times, Kingsbury. Boy, he's a smoker. Like I that. know. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if what we can mean? run – if that little midget's going to run circles around us or if, if we can contain him. Yeah, well, we'll see. Most people have been doing a good job of containing that guy. I mean, after all, the Cardinals are racist for cutting him a check for about, I don't know, $400 million. Who cares, right? Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next week, by the way, brother. Thanks for jumping on here and getting us with some uh, DeSantis. We touched on a lot of stuff there. I did a good job of keeping my big fat mouth shut for the most part. So we look forward to having you on next week, buddy. All right. Out here. Bye. I think I said Wisconsin minus 10 and 9.5. Pretty sure I did that. FanDuel has them at 9.5. Scores and odds at 9.5. And then Vegas Insider 10. I meant 9.5. And And if you have it at 10, you may as well just pay a couple cents at that point to get it to 9.5. I don't think it'll matter, but just to clear that up, most of the ones I'm taking are right off FanDuel, except for when it's a local team, because then it gets, they get a little crazy with that. As far as local lines. Anyway, thanks to Tommy Benz for jumping on the show here. Bro Exotic, always a pleasure. And the drunk neighbor. Well, we'll see what happens in that game. Go Tigers, right? We need that one. Hope the Saints can figure out a way to not end the year already. That'd be great. Anyway, hopefully next week I'm feeling better. Hope you enjoyed this show. Be sure and tune in next week. It's going to be great. Reach out, touch your brother. Tell somebody about the sports and hello today. Keep it real and it's oceans.